So great big good morning. I'm Senior Pastor Chuck Blair here at New Church Live. Wonderful to have you joining us today, whether it's live or archived, it's great to have you here. So a few quick things we have going on. One is, you know, as, as we've wrestled through this season, it's been a hard season, it's been a long season, we want to find a way to kind of pull it together. So what we're doing is a special service on Sunday, June 6th, and the name of the service is Balance, Balancing It All. Because this season has had that, right? It's had the good parts, it's had the really bad parts. And how is it that we're going to balance it? How are we going to look at both and figure out a vision moving forward? Because churches have changed. We've changed dramatically here at New Church Life. Heart's still the same, but a lot of the different things we do have changed. And we need to keep on that movement and we need to keep on that journey. And most importantly, we need to keep on that journey together. So what we're going to do to get ready for that service on the 6th is we have a special planning team coming up, and that will be on Wednesday night on Zoom. And at that planning team, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down with the other co-leaders, which are Teresa Uber from out in Pittsburgh and Bob Plefka here locally and myself, and we're just going to hear people out like, yeah, what would that kind of service look like? Treating it as a one-off. What would it look like as we pull it all together? I wanted to do a one-off, in particular, before the summer starts. I know in the summer, again, even before COVID, everybody was headed down to the shore. So we want to do one where we have one where, where people can get a chance to, to sort of voice the way they would love this service to look, both for our online audience and our in-person audience as well. It'll run from 7 to 8 p.m. If that interests you, you see my name up there, feel free to shoot me a text or an email, and we'll get you on the list. So with that, folks, big welcome, and now I'd like to introduce Angela. Angela? Good morning. Thank you all for being here, and I just want to welcome you as well to New Church Live. My name is Angela Cooper, and my role here is helping plug people into the New Church Live community and, you know, helping run things behind the scenes. And one of the things I'm focused on for the next handful of weeks is our stewardship end-of-year goal. For those who don't know, we run on a fiscal year. So June 30th is the end of our fiscal year, and our hope is to meet our stewardship or fundraising goals. And I fully believe that it's possible. And we are relying on the generosity of this congregation to run everything that happens here. So small groups, all of the online programming, the online service, the archive, the music, um, community service initiatives, everything is supported by your generosity. And the beautiful thing about New Church Live is it's really not about everyone giving a ton. It's about a lot of people giving what they can. So I just want to encourage everybody who feels like, oh, I don't know if I can support it. I don't know if I have what it takes. Whatever you can contribute is your generosity. So I would just encourage you to think about how you can support New Church Live, whatever that means to you, um, and to give from that place. Um, it's about a lot of people giving a little um, and, and doing what they can. So we have about $52,000 left to go by the end of the fiscal year, which sounds like a lot. Um, our goal is 328, so we are really you know, making progress and, and showing that we can do this. 
I always like that it's like 52 people giving $1,000 or 5,200 people giving 100. I mean, it's really possible for everybody to give from their place of generosity and support New Church Live in getting us to our goal. So um, if you want to make a donation and you want to support the operations here at New Church Live, all you have to do is text the word New Church Live, all one word, to 77977, and you can make a donation with your phone. Or you can go to our website, and there's a donate tab, and you can make a donation there. You can make a one-time donation that is a little bit bigger, or you can set up a reoccurring donation to support us all throughout the year. Um, so I just would encourage you to think about where you um, can show up and how you can support New Church Live, and it really, truly makes a huge difference. So I hope I will have great news to share as we, you know, tick through these last few days of the stewardship year. And I just want to thank you all for your generosity. So thanks everyone. Beautiful. Wow. So uh, many of you know, you know, on my bucket list is dunking a basketball and being able to sing like that. Maybe one of these, maybe one of these days. So great to have you joining us today, folks. And and you know, it's, it's interesting uh, preaching on what we're going to preach on today, sharing on what we're going to share on, learning about what we're going to learn about, which is, which is how to learn really grace fully. Grace full. Filled with grace. It, it was an interesting week in that, man, I, and I realize I'm probably Johnny come lately on this compared to a lot of you. It like finally all caught up on me this week. You know, even, even hearing the music, hearing these wonderful musicians practice this morning, I've just found myself getting a little teary. And I realize it's just because I'm tired. It's been a long journey. A journey with both blessed parts and really broken parts and, and trying to figure our way forward and how does it look and how does this look and that look. You know, those are big questions. And I'm not quite even sure how all that looks. What I do know is I feel like God's always calling us to live in that graceful way. In that graceful way. So today we're, we're going to look at sort of what, it, what some of the challenges are around that. We're going to start by looking at the challenges and then we're going to going to build into, yeah, what does it look like to really live gracefully? And it's, and it's about reframing. We've been talking about that. What is it to live the good life? Like, how do we reframe that compared to how we might see it? And, and today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a story, many of you know, probably some of you don't, the story of Cain and Abel. Now, the story of Cain and Abel goes way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, which, which we believe are sort of like representative of of, of certain human conditions and, and, and sort of the beginning of faith in our life. They, they have these two children, Cain and Abel, two sons. And the sons get into a fight. Like, not a big surprise there. They get into a battle. And that's what I want to read for you today. And I'm just going to read the beginning part of the story where it's talking about what sort of the, the initial cause of like this anger and this tension was. So for those of you who are following along at home, we're looking here, excuse me there, we're looking here at Genesis 4. Genesis 4. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the sale. So Cain and Abel. And in the course of time, Cain made an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. In other words, one brought vegetables and one brought meat. 
The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So, so a little background to that. In, in, in Christian new church circles, we look at this and we try to think, okay, what is this trying to picture? What is this trying to tell me? And it's not trying to tell you that meat is better than vegetables. <laughs> it's not saying that at all. What it's talking about is, is, is where, what are we going to offer up in our life? And, and, and we can oftentimes think the biggest thing we have to offer is our head, and really the biggest thing we have to offer is our heart. The biggest thing we have to offer is our heart. And that can create challenges, that battle between head and heart. Does love come first or does faith come first? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you swearing? So Cain's all upset. You know, God likes meat offerings more. And, and God goes like, don't, don't be upset. Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. And this is a beautiful line here. You must master it. You must master it. You must master it. That's, that's so key, folks, to think about, about you must master it because we do have this deep challenge, this deep challenge of, of sin lying at the door. What does that mean, sin lying at the door? And, and how does this kind of work? Well, what I want to do is, is I want to go over here, folks, and, and tell the story using some boxes, actually, and, and, and point out some ways we might be able to think about this. Now, the first part, the first part. And here, I'm not going to go to the Bible story. Here, I'm going to go way off here, way off to the side, just to, just to sort of ground it in the human experience. So we have lived over the past year in many, many different segments, many different chronological blocks, where we've been really good at breaking everything into boxes. Are you this or are you this? And then it changed the election. Are you this or are you this? And it changed here, there. Everything's like, are you this or are you this? And these boxes, the hard part is, the more we compare this box and this box, the more it keeps doing this. And, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. It's just, it's just what I experience all the time. And there's this instant trying to know, like, well, which box are you in? Pick the topic. God, friends, does not work in boxes. God doesn't do that. We do. We're humans. I do it all the time. What God becomes is the fabric, the fabric of life, that wovenness. And of course, it's not saying that, that, that one particular position is more important than another or more insightful. I mean, obviously, like there are certain clusters of thought that are really valid and other clusters of thought that are not. The challenge is when we keep on in the habit of constantly, constantly harping back to what box are you in? That breaks my heart. That makes life hard. This story, I think, gives us insight into this particular dynamic and asks us maybe to reconsider it in a different way. It's interesting because in the Bible, this is really the first time the word sin is used. 
And it's about two brothers, each with a different box. One brother not carrying so much, the other brother carrying a lot. Wanting God to kind of say, like, your box is the best. And I think that's why God says, nope, you got to master that. You got to master that perspective. You got to find a way to understand, yes, there's boxes. And the most important thing is the fabric that we share underneath. The ground of our being. So incredibly important. I mean, we can have all sorts of very, very simple ways to say it, say it and, and maybe it's time again to repeat some of those things, that what we share is far more than what divides us. And if all we pay attention to is what divides us, that's all we'll find, is what divides us. That's a head trip. Hearts are different places. Love doesn't do that kind of thing. Love is able to encompass, embrace, arms wide open. So let's dive back into this just a little, just a little deeper. Try to see this in a, in a little bit deeper way. In, in our particular theology, what we believe is that, again, these stories have these deeper, deeper senses to them. And I love, I love sort of this deeper internal sense of what these words mean. And, and listen to this, folks. Like, it's really interesting, right? Like, just a little background here before I read it for you. You know, in this, in this conversation on, on sin, you would think, like, okay, well, how do we define sin? You define it as this, this, and this. Really interesting, very counterintuitive way to see sin here. So let me read it for you. Heresies crop up because when we think about a single article of faith, we make it the chief one. It's a human characteristic that then we turn our attention obsessively to one consideration, issue, or rule. We make it more important than another, especially if our fantasies claim it as our own personal discovery. Now, I, I shared this, this story years ago, and then I'm going to come back to the reading here. You know, I went to, when, I, when I have off on a Sunday, I go and visit a church, and I, I visited a church, and in many churches, they have, they have this tradition known as passing the peace. In other words, you, you shake hands with those around you. We've done it many times here at New Church Live when, when we had a large in-person audience and a large online audience. And, and, and I went into this church, literally I go in, and the first words out of the pastor's mouth as she welcomes us is like, Folks, I just want to say, if you're new here, please note, we do not pass the peace. And I thought, what a strange way to define yourself. But, but we do that all the time, right? We, we, think that, we think that faith is this one particular thing. If we're really in that head box, we believe that, that faith is comprised of this one thing, and this is the one thing that it all falls or stands on. And sometimes that's crazy. I mean, I've seen, there's been historical fights over whether to baptize babies or adults. Like, that makes no sense, I don't think, in the, in the, in the bigger paradigm of Christianity. But in our minds, dividing things up, it makes sense. And it's forgetting that deeper, richer fabric. What happens, folks, is, is when we do this, when we, when we, when we take that one thing, as, the, as it goes on to say, we start to make that an idol. Let me continue reading here. 
When a narcissistic love for ourselves and for worldly advantages inflates our ego, no circumstances fail to add its consent and support until we are almost ready to swear that it's true, even if it's false. So those referred to as Cain made faith more essential. In other words, far more about what you thought than how you loved. Those referred to as Cain made faith more essential than love, and they lived without love. They were helped along in their cause by both self-love and the fantasy that accompanies it. Beautiful line there. One of the challenges is, folks, is, is, is we can take that one thing, and that can become the idol. If I had arrived at that church I mentioned from Mars and had been asked to report back to the mothership what was the most important thing for that church, I would have reported back that you don't shake hands before church. This is pre-COVID, by the way. And boy, we can do that with any number of things. We need to be so careful about that. And this is where, like, as a pastor, it's, it's challenging because I think for all of us, there's a call to look in. Where are we doing that? Where are we setting up that test? Where are we making that test that part of faith? And it's interesting, with the way Emanuel Swedenborg says it here, he seems to be saying, if we focus too much on faith, too much on how, we, how our mental constructs work, that we have the right box, inevitably we will start testing more and more. And maybe if we're testing more and more, it's, it's we need to trace that back and go like, oh, maybe I need to reconsider this. Reconsider how I'm holding it. And again, I want to say, that's not saying that all opinions are valid. They're not. Some opinions are far better than others. But we have to refine, refine the grace. And it's really hard to do. We're constantly shifting boxes, using boxes, judging by boxes, putting people in boxes, putting ourselves in boxes. It's really hard to find the grace there. And that is always the call. What happens, folks, is, is we can make an idol of that box. In other words, we can, we can, again, worship that particular one thing, whatever that one thing is, fill it in. And then what, what the challenge becomes is the challenge becomes that becomes the lens through which we see the world. Somebody brought that up at sermon writing team. That's so good, so good, so spot on, because I can see it in myself all the time. We set up a box, and then that box becomes our lens through which we see the world, and, and it shapes everything. And in a way, we've turned it into an idol. We've turned it into something that we almost become worshipful about. I can certainly become that way about my own opinions. How do we change that? How does that look different? Well, I think part of it, and we're going to look at this, I'm going to give you a question, and we'll have a, a middle song here for you to think about the question. One of the challenges is really understanding that we have to be aware of where we might be functioning with a false fundamental. I mean, I think that's so much what this story is about. I think that's what God's talking about in the Word. I, I think Emanuel Swedenborg is saying, like, yeah, you've got you to watch having a false fundamental. In other words, it's one thing that you navigate your life by that, that remains unquestioned. A false fundamental. 
Now we're gonna take a look here at a question, which is what is a false fundamental you have had to wrestle with? What's a false fundamental you've had to wrestle with? You could have many of them, folks. I mean, there's just an, uh, an abundance of examples. You know, one, one I was thinking about for myself is, is, yeah, you know, it's really a false fundamental for me is that I know exactly why you did X, Y, or Z. I know exactly why you did it. I know, I know your intention. Again and again and again, by God's grace, I've realized I know nothing. I know nothing. I simply do not know. And all those judgments, all they do is that they just move the boxes further and further apart. It's coming from my head. It's coming from judgment. It's not coming from my heart. It's not coming from that desire to connect. So what is the false fundamental for you? What's the piece that you wrestle with as a person? Let's air that. Let's take a look at what those false fundamentals are and really treat them as a sacred no. And then when the musicians, as the musicians do their middle song here, you know, think about it. And what you can do is you can send me in chat at the chat. You can put an answer or you can text me at 215-740-3662. 215-740-3662. What's your answer? Like, where do you wrestle with a false fundamental? Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Beautiful. As, as always, folks, I'm only going to read a sampling of these answers, but, but they're beautiful. Talking about false, false fundamentals, we, we, uh, we, we wrestle with all the time. I assume that people are telling me the truth and can be deceived because I project my own honesty. All people don't operate that way. My discretion wires get crossed. That's Jesus' great line. Be gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent. Believing all my fundamentals are true. This is, a, this is a one that brings a smile. I'm the oldest. I know how to keep you safe, to protect you. Now leave me alone. False fundamental, that I'm the smartest person in the room, smiley face. When people are distant or seem agitated, I struggle with assuming that it is due to a judgment or opinion against me. Boy, that's a big one. Or something I've done that has pushed them away, or that I have somehow caused this behavior. And that, that means we become very hypervigilant. And I want to close with this one, because I think this is really key to what we're talking about today. False fundamental you are my enemy. Beautifully said, and thank you folks for sharing those. Jesus takes up on this theme, actually, and he's, he's constantly saying, like, yeah, be aware of your fundamentals. What, it, what are those fundamental points you're navigating your life by? And really learn to look at those. And, and folks, the beautiful part about life, it's, it's not about like, well, I had the wrong ones then and I have the right ones now. It's a learning process, right? It's a fundamental could have been right at a certain time in a certain situation. And yet now it's just time to grow into something different. 
to change, to shift, to, 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 to allow our lives to expand. Here's an example of Jesus talking about a false fundamental. Here's Matthew 23, 20, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So again, interesting with hypocrisy here. He said, you tithe, in other words, you give 10%, but you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. There we see a transcend and include kind of, kind of approach. Again, I love that line, right? It's, it's not saying tithing is bad. It's, it's, just, it's just saying if you've made that the most important point, you're missing the big picture. Cain and Abel. You're missing the big picture. You're missing the heart piece, which is about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, now what are the fundamentals we need to get back to? What are the fundamentals... We need to work hard to reclaim it. And folks, I think this is going to be really hard work. I think these may be some of the biggest challenges we face moving forward. Because we've been practicing something else for a while now. And what are those two fundamentals? Well, I think it's learning more about goodwill, returning to goodwill, and trying to live graceful. Now, I want to look at that one around goodwill first. I, I love that idea, right? That, that again and again, in, in Christian New Church perspective, we really believe goodwill is super critical, incredibly critical. And, and here's, here's the beautiful part, folks. And I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. The default of our lives is always good. So it's a matter about removing the stuff that doesn't work to get to the stuff that's already there that does. This is the old will. This is the new will. Heart of stone, heart of flesh, as we say oftentimes in here, using a biblical reference there. So as soon as I remove, just to use that one passage that somebody shared from the audience, as soon as I, I remove that false fundamental that you are my enemy, all of a sudden, goodwill is present. If I remove that false fundamental that I am large and in charge, all of a sudden, goodwill is present. When I remove that false fundamental that's always hypervigilant, wondering whether I fit in, did that person turn their back because they don't like me, all those, all those things that we all wrestle with. When that gets removed, goodwill is present. It's interesting, this is stated so strongly that it says, when do we forget our way? We forget our way if you don't wish well for others. If you don't wish well for others, you're missing it. The full passage out of Secrets of Heaven, 364, if you do not wish well for others, there's no charity. There's no kindness. So that part about really doing the discipline work, because goodwill, folks, it's not just about like having a big smile on your face. Like, it's work. It means that I am deliberately wishing well for others including those who might not inhabit the current box I am living in. I've got to wish them the best. And then what about this graceful part? What about this graceful part? 
Well, here we come back to, to the beginning of the Gospel of John. We've been doing that in our morning, uh, our morning devotionals, which you can join us 8.30 a.m. on Facebook for those. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. And, you know, every time working through, uh, you know, these different parts of the Bible, the amazing part is that every, every year it shifts. Every year something new jumps out. And, and this year what jumped out for me was this idea of, of grace, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Now, a little aside there, a little background. When we look back to how the Gospel of John starts, these were people who had lost their way. And there's so much of the time, right, when we feel like we lost our way and we've messed up. If you look at the Old Testament, the, the part of the Bible that's before Jesus, where we're expecting like God to come down with fire and lightning and to tell us how awful we are and, and the whole thing. And that's not how the New Testament ever starts. The New Testament never starts with punishment. It starts with birth. It starts with something new being incarnate. The Word becoming flesh. God with sandals on. That's how it starts. And it's saying when we can start in that place, we can start to see and we can start to see grace in a brand new way. Now what is this, this grace that is spoken of here? Like what does it mean as we go through our life's journey? What is, how does this grace work? Well, a number of things, and, and first part of this I preached on before, you know, that word dwelling there, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I preached on that a couple years ago. This beautiful definition there. It literally means, look at it, folks, this is why the Bible is so good. It literally means the word became flesh and pitched his tent right beside ours. That's good theology. It's the idea of God's part of the team. He's part of the camp. He wants to go camping with you. Hang out by the fireplace with you, s'mores with you, like the whole thing. It's a beautiful piece of theology. And then it goes on to say we beheld. In other words, we saw this, this glory. And again, the word glory there also has a connotation, as we said last week, of celebration. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now that idea, folks, of, of, of grace, let's take a look at, at what that means. Grace, that which affords, and you see how it comes right back around here? <laughs> that which affords joy, goodwill, and loving kindness. If we are graceful, it doesn't mean we're great ballerinas. What it means is that we're living a life which affords us, which offers to us, not that we do it 24-7, that's never going to happen on this side of life, but we're going to have a life that is evidenced by joy, goodwill, loving kindness. Joy, goodwill, loving kindness. 
And just think of a life, like if we saw it as a pictogram, just, just think of a life where grace is at the center and, and these all are reinforcing like each other, goodwill reinforcing joy, joy reinforcing love and kindness. Like it's really much easier to practice love and kindness if you have a little joy in your life. And it's really much easier, again, to have goodwill if we're going out there with the objective of loving kindness. Like, they, they all kind of go together. And grace can kind of be the homing signal right there in the middle of it all. In the middle of it all. Not a test. Which box are you in? Instead, grace in the middle of it all. That grace in the middle of it all, folks, is so important. Because again, I think these are stark choices. I think you look at the way people at this time would have seen the world. Uh, you know, Jesus was, was raised in Israel, the, the central pivot of Israel. I preached on this many times, but it's worthwhile repeating was the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. That was considered the place where, where, God, where God lived. And that's where all kind of righteousness and piety moved through. And it was very much based on tests. You know, did you sacrifice the right thing? Did you do this right thing? Did you wash this right way? Jesus doesn't come in, and this is sort of a surprise to you. He doesn't come in and say, oh, that doesn't matter at all. He doesn't say that. What he says is, don't forget the big stuff. What he says is, don't forget the big stuff. So we see there a shift, a shift from piety and its tests into shifts, a very different way to look at boxes. Very different way to look at boxes. Now, I'm going to take a look at boxes, and, and, and you know, this picture, I want to give you the story to this picture and put it in the context over here. Uh, again, we can think like, okay, am I sorting people into boxes? Am I forgetting the fabric, the core of our being that we all share? And I think that's really good. And then it's also interesting to, to just think about boxes in a bigger sense. Do you know what this picture's from? This picture is from someone, a, 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 a parishioner sent this to me. Beautiful picture. What happened three weekends ago is this parishioner who lives alone was moving into a safer neighborhood, was moving into a safer apartment complex. And another parishioner came over, helped her pack up her boxes, and helped her move. Nine hours on a Saturday. I love that. That's graceful. That's a very different way of thinking of boxes. It's a very different way of understanding the fabric of our being. Anne Lamott had famously said, you know, and I've mentioned this in here before, at the age of 40, you never have to help anyone move again. And, uh, you know, thank goodness there was somebody who didn't listen to that. And what do we find, folks, when we do that? Well, we find a new way to stand. We find a new way to stand. 
If you're at home, I would advise you to take a screenshot of this because it's so well said. It's talking about the, that connectedness. Wise people do not tell us what to do. And this is, again, I think people who are graceful. They start by witnessing our story. They take the anecdotes, rationalizations, and episodes of life and see us in a noble struggle. They see our narratives, both from the inside as we experience them and from the outside as we can't. They see the ways we navigate the dialectics of life. One moment. So I don't know what my computer's doing there. Intimacy versus independence. Sorry, I'm having trouble with the connection. Please try again in a moment. What, what do you do with this stuff? Stop doing that. All right, I think we're safe. I think that was the tech thing. <laughs> they see the ways we are navigating the dialectics of life, intimacy versus independence, control versus uncertainty, and understand that our current self is just where we are right now, part of a long continuum of growth. I love that. Right? Because there's not a sorting that takes place there. There's not a sorting into, please listen carefully. There's not a sorting into, there's a being with. There's not a sorting into, there's a being with. That's our work. Do we get to see it many times? I mean, as a pastor, I feel like I get to see it all the time. I get to see it with these boxes and somebody helping someone move. And I got to see it last week at this, at this beautiful blessing down at a shore home. I mentioned it last week, but I wanted to, to share a picture with you folks. You could, you could see it. Went down, did a blessing. Everyone shared a blessing. Lots of tears, lots of good food, lots of fun. It was not a sorting into. It was a being with. Now, as I look at that picture, are there different people in different boxes with different perspectives and different opinions? Absolutely. But you know what? It didn't matter. Because it was a group of people reaching for something else. Reaching beyond the sorting that we're called to and which social media enables oh so beautifully. Into a form of release. Release into goodwill, into joy, into loving kindness. Any one of those people in that picture could have spent the afternoon on Facebook arguing why one of someone else was wrong. And I guarantee they got more out of that than they would have gotten spending all that time on who was wrong. Friends, Let's rediscover that world. Let's find that world again. And as always, let's do that together. Amen. To close the service, what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer a prayer, followed by the Our Father prayer, followed by a blessing.
And then we'll have a final song. And the final song is beautiful. It's about being released. Being released from that. From our need to sort. Into a much greater blessing of connection. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your willingness to join us, for your love that holds us, for your wisdom that guides us. Help us, Lord, to move beyond this sorting mechanism. Help us to move into connection, into the mystic, into those parts of our, the, the, the chords, the chords, Lord, the beautiful chords that we share and that sing to all of our hearts, all of our lives, all of our boxes. Be with us, Lord, over the week ahead. Help us to see the good life as the connected life. Help us to serve. Help us to love. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, brothers, sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace and bring you home. Amen.